hello, hello, hello. Happy Saturday. Yes, especially after this week. Happy Saturday indeed. And welcome in to another edition of the Sports Kiki Podcast. It is episode number 50. That's right, the big 5-0. My name as always is Alex Reamer. And thank you as always for listening. We've reached 50 episodes. It's a milestone worth celebrating. And I couldn't have done it without all of you. Because, let's be honest, podcasting into the abyss would get pretty old pretty quickly. I have a great guest for our 50th episode. Natasha Cloud is a player for the Washington Mystics in the WNBA. She's a WNBA champion. She's a basketball star. But she is so much more than that. She is one of the foremost advocates and activists in sports. She took off the entire WNBA season last year to protest and take part in the nationwide racial justice movements. She's a spokesperson and ambassador for Converse. She's a black bisexual woman. There's so many things to talk about with Natasha Cloud from the inauguration to her coming out story, her marriage to softball star Alicia Ocasio. Uh, so many things to get into with Natasha. She was very generous with her time, so I won't make you wait. We will play that in a moment. But first, there are a couple of quick things I want to get off my chest, beginning with the inauguration. I've spent so many openings over the last 50 episodes talking about our daily dystopia and Donald Trump and just the crises keep coming at us and they don't let up. And we still have the crises. We're still in the midst of the pandemic. We're still in the midst of an economic depression. We still have massive racial disparity and inequality. These problems, of course, are not going to be fixed overnight. But finally, we can start talking about fixing them. Finally, we have progress. That's the most important thing. We can finally start to see a path forward. We didn't have any of that the last four years. And for the last five years, there was no figure more omnipresent in our culture, more ubiquitous in our culture than Donald Trump. In a lot of respects, he was our culture. And I don't know about you, but I feel a little lighter this week. I really do. Uh, The other night, I was going through my nightly routine I work all day to give you folks the great content that I do. I then usually cook a little dinner, do a little workout. Then around 7.38, I'll take my iPad, head up to our living room. I'll do some scrolling. I'll read through the New York Times front page like any good liberal does. And usually, if I wanted to, I could be staring at my iPad until the wee hours of the morning because there is just so much to catch up on. The other night, though, it was like 9.30, and I'm like, that's it? I think that's it. I think I've read all the news I want to read for the day. It is amazing. For five plus years, everything came back to Donald Trump, and now it won't. We are finally free. Hopefully, we allow ourselves to be. I also want to briefly talk about Dan Campbell. To completely change subjects, Dan Campbell is a former NFL tight end. He is the new head coach of the Detroit Lions. They signed him to a six-year deal. 
He had his introductory press conference Thursday in which he issued a new apology for an anti-gay remark he made as a college student. This has been kind of a weird story. In 1998, Campbell was a college student to Texas A&M. He was, a, he was on their football team, uh, a tight end, of course. He attended a pep rally in 1998 ahead of a game against Texas. And he said in front of 40,000 some odd attendees that he was proud to attend a university where men like women and women like men. He issued an apology at the time, kind of a half-baked apology, telling a local newspaper he, quote, offended some people, and he was sorry for that. Well, he was asked about his comments again at his press conference this week. Thankfully, he was a bit more expansive. He said it was something I was young and wish I wouldn't have said it. If I could go back, I wouldn't have. But here we are and it's out there. And all I can do is apologize for it. Obviously, actions speak louder than words. As the face of an NFL franchise, Campbell has quite a platform. And we'll see what he does with it. But the bizarre part of this story, the real bizarre part of this story is uh, the coverage of Campbell's comments, his past comments. And in particular, I mean how the story got unearthed. So last weekend, a reporter for the Detroit Free Press, the big paper in Detroit, uncovered and republished, I guess, for lack of a better term, these comments that Campbell made in 1998. Strangely enough, that journalist, Marlo Alter, had his own history of making anti-gay remarks as a college student. Readers of the Detroit Free Press and Twitter sleuths dug up an array of homophobic tweets from his past, many of which contain the F-word. Alter issued an apology, and the Detroit Free Press says it's conducting an investigation. So many, it's just a weird, you know, so many thoughts about this. I'll just boil it down to a couple. Number one, I think this whole episode embodies just the ugly, some of the uglier aspects of our society, this gotcha culture. Uh, the original story in Detroit Free Press, absolutely, it is totally kosher to bring up anti-gay remarks that Dan Campbell made as a college student. I don't care that they happened 23 years ago. They were made in front of 40,000 plus people. He didn't really apologize at the time, as I mentioned. He's now the head coach of an NFL team. Hell yeah. Anything you said in the past can and will you can and will be brought up. So I have no problem with the article. What I did have a problem with is our Alter in the story made no effort to reach Campbell for comment. So he brought up something that was said 23 years ago with no new angle. I don't think that would fly with us at Outsports. I mean, you got to come up with a new angle. That's number one. Number two, these readers going after Alter. I mean, stupid to tweet this homophobic crap. Stupider to leave it up as well. But just going after someone's old tweets from their college days, it just, it never sits well with me. I mean, why do you think that these Lions fans went through his old tweets? Was it to expose homophobia and the evils of homophobia? I don't think so. It was to try to razz a guy who wrote a negative article about your new coach. So these were not good faith actors either. Uh, it, it's weaponizing. It's weaponizing rightful outrage against homophobia, which we all have a right to be outraged and angry about, but it's weaponizing it in this kind of ugly manner. So weird story. 
but seems like we're moving on. Dan Campbell did apologize. And now we'll see, again, as I said, what he does going forward with his platform. But enough of me babbling. Natasha Cloud is coming up on the other side. We have a great conversation. Thank you, as always, for listening. And welcome back to the show. It is the Sports Kiki Podcast here on Out Sports. And uh, very excited, as I was saying in the opening, to welcome on our guest for episode number 50, by the way, as I also said a million times in the opening. Uh, Natasha Cloud is one of our favorite athletes to cover. She's a WNBA champion. She's uh, an, an advocate, an activist, and also the recipient of our 2012 Out Sports Female Hero of the Year. And I'm excited to have her on the show now. Natasha, how are you? Thanks for coming on. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Goodness, you guys really do hype me up, and I appreciate it. <laughs> uh, you know, I, we love athletes who, of course, are out and proud like you are, but we also have athletes who speak their mind, which you do too. So it's really uh, a great combination for us. Absolutely. I appreciate that. I really do. Yeah. Um, And, you know, I want to start, we were going to do this last week, but it's actually better to do it this week because we have some great news to talk about. What did Joe Biden's inauguration mean to you? What were you, what have you been feeling this week? Oh, man. Uh, When I tell you I shed legit tears and uh, it was an emotional day. I, I don't think people truly understand Um, how traumatic these last four years and especially this last year and a half with the pandemic has been, um, not only on, you know, the black community, uh, but also the LGBTQ plus community. It has been a traumatic four years under an administration that uh, was in every sense trying to attack our communities. Um, So for for me, uh, the work that I did over the summer, uh, obviously I was, fighting for social reform as a whole, um, but voting was our initiative. And so to see all those countless hours, those tears that came in in the summer from, you know, the tragedies that were going on and all the work put in, uh, to come to that moment the other day where we created this change in our country that is so desperately needed in every facet, um, it, it was surreal. Um, it was emotional. Uh, and it was it brought back a sense of hope that we had lost for the past four years. Yeah, and I think, you know, it was a great speech, and one of the lines that stuck out to me the most was Joe Biden said that we've had nothing but, we've, we've had no progress for the last four years. We've only had outrage, and whether or not he was your preferred yeah. candidate or not, I think we can all agree that now we can finally start to move forward on so many crises, as you mentioned. Absolutely. Um why I like Joe so much, I, I hate how people, um, you know, bring up his history. And his past is his past. Um, I have a lot of, you know, things that I, you know, don't necessarily agree with, with who he was in his past, but he's grown. He has proved it. He has changed. He is, he's an open-minded man. He's a very compassionate man. Um, he's a calming influence that this country needs so desperately during a pandemic in which has taken over 400,000 lives. Like, we we need Joe uh, now more than ever, and so uh, he's the man for the job. And even just in his speech, like you said, um, there was just a sense of like calmness, and uh, you know, it, it must have been a hard day for him. Like you're you, you wanted to be a president of the United States for majority of your career, and you get to this moment, but you are you are hitting the ground running uh, during one of the the hardest points in American history. So. Um, but I, I do think he's the candidate for the job. 
And a question I have for you as someone who's so involved in advocacy and activism, of course, the Trump era brought unprecedented activism. Now with Joe Biden in the White House, how do we keep that pressure up? Oh, absolutely. That's, that's what I've been telling everyone is, you know, is enjoy this moment, embrace this moment, because all the work that we put in, this is the this is the win. This is the success. But at the end of the day, our jobs are not even close to being done. When you look at social reform and what this country truly needs in order to be a great country, we need to start changing our whole system. Um, and so when you when you look at it, you know, yeah, it's great, Joe. We, we voted you in and we support you. We love you. But we're going to be on your ass <laughs> because we need to be. <laughs> Um, not only Joe, but also our Senate, also our local legislators. We we need to continue to hold the people that we vote in to represent us in our communities. We need to hold them accountable. Um, we need to hold Joe accountable for, uh, you know, his policies that he put in place during his campaigning. Those things, those promises he made uh, to Americans, we need to hold him accountable for that. And I know he's the man for the job. But us as American citizens, us as advocates, we still need to do our due diligence to make sure that those promises and those commitments are still being being made and met. What are some uh, initiatives in particular and uh, movements that you that you will be focusing on over the next year? Oh, gosh. So it's, uh, when you look at social reform as a whole, it's extremely daunting um, because there's so many different avenues in which needed need to be fixed. Um, so I, I have to sit down with the drawing board. Uh, yeah. It's really cool. I, I've made really good relationships over the summer. So I'm a part of a lot of different coalitions, uh, met with a lot of good companies that are ready for to be a part of the movement. They just don't know necessarily how. So uh, for me, I'm sitting down with my team in the upcoming weeks. Uh, that's, you know, my agent, um, my financial advisor, my mentors, uh, the mystics as well, and all those relationships that I made over the summer, to sit down and say, okay, what we did the voting initiative, what are now the low-hanging fruits that we can easily obtain and make immediate impact on uh, within the communities that need them most. So, um, you know, I don't have a set plan yet, uh, but there's a lot of different avenues, whether it is LGBTQ plus rights, um, whether it is the prison reform, uh, whether it is, you know, our lower economic areas and making sure that they have resources and opportunities to break the cycle uh, that has plagued those communities for 400 plus years now. Um, there's a lot to pick from. So I'm really excited. Uh, I, you know, I take the wins that happened in the summer and, and I'm, I'm ready and I'm, I'm refocused, recentered for uh, this next fight that's going to take, you know, years to come. What uh, moment spurned your activism? Can you can you can you attribute it to one particular thing, or was it a, a slow build over many years? Oh man, I've always had a loud mouth. Uh, <laughs> that's something my mom will tell you too. Likewise, <laughs> I've always been yeah, like it's just who we are, right? Um, so I've always been someone that would stand up and be vocal if need be. Um, but really finding my passion and standing up all the time really came uh, two years ago in our 2019 season. I was at Henley Elementary School in Southeast D.C. Uh, I was going to read uh, books to kindergarten children. And when I got to the library, the library librarian had tears in her eyes. 
and she was like, I need your help. She was like, I went to local officials. I went to the mayor. I went to everyone that we needed to go to. Um, three bullets had penetrated that elementary school in one month, Wow! in the month of June. And one occurrence, the children were actually in the building when the, when the bullet hit the building. Um, and so for me, that shook me to my core. Uh, when you're talking about the innocence of kids and trying to go and, you know, get an education and better themselves, especially in a lower economic community, predominantly black children. Um, this is what I'm talking about when we're talking about breaking the cycle. Uh, because if kids don't feel safe to go to school, if parents don't feel safe sending their children to school, they stay home. And we all know lower economic areas, uh, you know, it's, the, there's less resources, there's less opportunities. So while those kids are at home because they can't go to school, their parents are at work, and that continues kids being on the street, which then continues to the prison cycle, which just is the snowball effect into countless problems that plague especially black communities. So um, for me, it was... The, the starting point of my activism and you know people would tell me like oh you're an activist you're an activist I'm like no I'm just a regular person that sees something wrong right. and has a platform and can use it to be a voice for the voiceless and for me I've always just said you know um, if I can be a voice for the voiceless if I can use my God-given platform um, to create change and ignite change then I'm going to do that. If I didn't do that, I'd be doing a disservice to a lot of people that either live like me or look like me. And, and, you know, that's just, I can't do that. And this summer, you did so much great work and continue to do it. You mentioned you're with uh, LeBron's organization, More Than a Vote. You've partnered with Chris Paul's organization, the Players Coalition, and Malcolm Jenkins. Uh, obviously, the role that you and your peers played in erecting and helping elect Raphael Warnock, Warnock to the Senate. Looking back at the last year, what are some of your biggest takeaways and some of the biggest things that you learned? Oh, man. Uh, there's power in numbers. Yeah. Uh, I think for for far too long, especially in the professional sports world, uh, we've been separated based on our leagues. Even our NBA counterparts, our brothers, we've been separated. The WNBA, the NBA, while you know we are very close, we have really close friendships. We've never truly worked together. Um, same can be said for you know our uh, women's soccer leagues, our men's soccer leagues, our the MLB. Um, not necessarily the NHL. I'm calling them out because they need to step up. Um, but we've been separated for far too long. And I think in a lot of instances that was purposeful because we see what happens when we come together and we use our platforms as a combined platform. And it's a, it's a really, really beautiful thing. So um, my main takeaway this summer is that there's power in numbers um, and that there's a lot of good people in this world that are willing to fight with you, fight beside you, and be an ally for you. Um, you know, I, I think this last year and a half has been really, really traumatic in a lot of instances. And you can sometimes lose hope in, in people with how you're seeing things kind of play out. Um, but, you know, my hope is restored when I go to different marches, uh, when I'm meeting with different companies that are like, listen, we have sucked in this, in this category in the past, but we are ready, we are willing, and we just need help moving forward. Um, that's the beautiful part that I took away from this summer. Yeah, and on that point, you know, strength in numbers, your Players Tribune essay, I think, is just so powerful. I was just rereading it before uh, talking with you. Oh, your silence is, you. yeah, I mean, I just, 
your silence is a knee on the back of my neck. As, as your silence is a knee on my neck is the title for those who uh, have not read it. Um, but I guess my question is: after writing that, what are your thoughts on the landscape now? And do you think that your call has been answered? Oh, so that uh, that article was actually really hard for me to write. It actually right. happened. Um, it was the week of George Floyd being murdered, and I was actually supposed to be writing about the start up, the start back up of the WNBA season. And I called Player Tribune, and I was like, I cannot talk about anything else but what is going on right now in our country. And again, the beautiful thing about Players Tribune is they were like, Listen, you're the driver. We're just here to help you and. And, and project your voice and amplify your voice and whatever you want to talk about, we'll do. So uh, that article was phenomenal. Uh, I was a little nervous when I when I released it because it is. It's like very blunt, straight to the point. I curse in it. Uh, so I, I was a little nervous of how it was going to be received, but um, the outpouring of love and support that came from it was more than I could have imagined. Um, and I truly do think it impacted a lot of people and it changed people's perceptions of, you know, so I might I might have grown up this way, but someone else didn't grow up this way, so I need to, you know, cut my tunnel vision and open up a little bit. Um, as far as the calling to athletes, I think in a lot of ways they surpassed my wildest dreams in stepping up this summer. Mm. Um, and, you know, obviously I'm going to be biased and give a shout-out to the W because we're constantly at the forefront of every social yes. issue, but... Um, while we did surpass what I thought athletes would do this summer, we still have so much more work to do and work to fight for. So um, you can never be, you know, complacent and content uh, because, you know, like I said, it's cool to embrace the wins and embrace the journey, but um, understanding that that was such a small win in this big picture of reforming our country as a whole. Yeah, and I love that you can write a piece like that, a piece as strong like that, and still become one of the faces of Converse. I've been wondering, what have your conversations been like with those brands? Man, when I tell you um, I'm extremely, extremely blessed to be a part of the Converse family, um, I mean that in every facet. Uh, I just signed with them in December. I actually signed with them last year. Last year, in December, on Christmas, it was my Christmas present, which was really cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then everything kind of came about and, you know, going through the thought process of, I can't play basketball right now. Uh, this is bigger than basketball. This is bigger than me. This is, you know, I, I have to, you know, get out here and fight and be present for this fight of social reform and, for Congress to support me through it. I mean, people don't know, but like I technically broke my contract with Congress by not playing last year. Oh, wow. And, and yeah. And instead of, you know, punishing me for that decision that I made, they supported me in every facet and even paid my salary to make sure that me and my wife and my family were okay. Um, that doesn't happen like ever, ever, ever with major companies. Um, so I, when I say I'm extremely blessed, I truly mean that because Congress has been there in every facet that I've needed them. If I've needed to find people to work with, they've been the first ones I call. If I need help and support uh, for taking food to our frontline heroes and our nurses and doctors, 
they're the first ones to, you know, help me out and give, give away stuff. Um, they've been truly, truly uh, so important in, in my journey this summer. Um, and I'm extremely, extremely thankful for them and their support. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's one thing for somebody like LeBron to be as outspoken as he is and retain all of these sponsorships and be the face of uh, products. But, you know, I think it's another thing for Natasha Cloud, you know, an open black woman to be as strong and out there as you are and to be the face of a brand like Converse. It, it really, I think, speaks to the progress that we've made, that, that, that something like that can happen. Absolutely. To, you know, I'm Converse's first female woman athlete. And that in itself is a huge, huge testament to them. It's a huge testament uh, to myself that I'm extremely grateful for. But then you, you add on the layers. I'm also a black female. I'm also bisexual. Right. I'm also very outspoken. That can sometimes be perceived as a bad thing for companies. Um, they, they are leading the charge. And I, and I mean that in, in every way. They are leading the charge for what brands should be and what they should stand for um, because they broke the mold. Uh, you see, typically, uh, I'm, not, I'm not a typical, you know, face of a brand. Uh, again, I'm black, I'm bisexual, I'm a tomboy, and I'm loud. <laughs> <laughs> that is like, that's like four strikes. I don't even know if they give four strikes, but that's what it is. Um, but they have embraced me. Uh, they have loved me and supported me, and they've made me allowed me to feel comfortable in who I am. And uh, that's so important. That was so important to me when I was even signing with them. Yeah, and I mean, four strikes. I guess you have to ask Alicia whether it's three strikes or four strikes. I'm not quite <laughs> sure. Um, speaking of which, definitely me on three. <laughs> speaking of which, you mentioned your wife, Alicia Ocasio. Um, Tell us your coming out story because uh, I did do, I tried to do a lot of research on you prior to this interview, Natasha, but uh, I, I couldn't find the coming out story. Uh, yeah, please tell us. Honestly, I haven't really truly been asked my coming out story. Um, okay. It's, oh God, I feel like a little kid again, like talking about it, but so I uh, only strictly dated men. Um, you know, I am bisexual. I would look at women and be like, oh, she's really bad. But I wasn't there yet. I wasn't, you know, comfortable with myself yet. Huh. Um, I was still trying to figure out who I was as a person, as a player, um, all of that, especially um, biracial, too. Um, um, black and white. I grew up in an all-white family, so I call myself the gray area kid. So I had, like, <laughs> a lot of shit that I was trying to, like, decipher through and figure out, like, Okay, I identify as a black woman, but I'm very, very proud to be biracial. I'm very proud of my upbringing, my family, um, how my parents raised me. But how, how do I tap into my blackness? And then from there it was, okay, how do I tap into this bisexual thought process that I'm having, you know? Um, so the first woman that I met with was probably my third year in the W. I was three years in, or two years in, I'm sorry. I was two years in, and I finally was like, you know what? That's it. Now I'm just going to go for it. We're going to see what happens. It might be weird. It might be messy, but uh, I'm going to do it. And uh, for me, it was, uh, it was like, God, it was, it was so transformational for me to just finally be out 
um, as who I am as a bisexual woman, um, as a biracial woman. And it's, it's so crazy because when I finally did tap into um, those feelings, it really brought my whole world together. Um, I didn't necessarily pick the right women to start with, um, <laughs> but then when coming out... <laughs> it's a learning experience. <laughs> it was a good experience, you know? I, I needed it. It's like it's like work experience, you know? You just need it. <laughs> Add it on the resume. Um, and I did on the resume. But then when coming out to my family, I was I was really, really nervous. You know, it was, um, you know, you see all these stories of how it can go really, really bad when it comes to coming out to your family. And um, my dad is so cool because he's just like this old 74-year-old man that just like is so sweet and so genuine and so oblivious at times. So you just like, you don't even need to tell him because he'll be okay regardless. Um, but when I was talking to my mom, I actually did it right before family dinner, and I asked her to, you know, go into her bedroom to, to talk about something, and I started crying immediately, and I'm like, shit, I wasn't supposed to do this, like, I wasn't supposed to start crying already, um, and then I told her, and she was like, and? Oh my God, oh, you have to me. <laughs> I'm crying, I'm sweating, I'm this is like, this. I'm shaking because I was so nervous. And she was like, listen, it, it, while I'm from a different era and this wasn't necessarily how I was raised, she was like, you're my child and I love you and I will support you. And, you know, if it's a man, it's a man. If it's a woman, it's a woman. But as long as you're happy, that doesn't matter. And when I tell you there was a weight just lifted off of me after that yeah. conversation and um, you know, you fast forward a, a year and some, and um, I met Alicia. Uh, I actually followed Alicia on Instagram. Right, that's right. And, yeah, she just actually called me out probably like a few months ago. Was like, I just realized that you followed me as you were dating someone else. I'm like, we're not going to put that out there, okay? <laughs> but I'm putting it out there. <laughs> so she didn't notice me for like six months. I'm like, yo, this is crazy. Like, what is going on right now? And then. I finally liked one of her pictures. It was actually on her birthday. And she DM'd me and was like, I'm trying to be on cloud nine. And that took me. I was like, I thought I was going to have to do Look, she's really she right here. dating someone else, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here she comes. She, just inter- she literally just got home and interrupted. <laughs> well, I mean, that's a hell of a line. Be on cloud nine, it's that's a great. Hell of a line, right? It's a great line. I thought I was going to have I thought I was going to have to do all the work, and here Alicia comes with a smooth line. So, um, you know what they say about lesbians? We move really quick. So, like, the next week, <laughs> the next week she flew out. We played in Atlanta. Uh, she was still finishing up her degree at the University of Florida. Um, so, she came in and watched, and uh, from there it was over. I want, I want her over. Yeah. Hey, and- Alicia? <laughs> oh no! Now, now she, now she doesn't make a comment. I see how that works. Um, yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> now she's quiet. I get that. We'll have to put her on the spot yeah. later. Um, so, so I wanted to. So I did want to ask though about you know the effort that it took to foster your relationship with each other. I mean, the WNBA and NPF have concurrent seasons. I was reading that. You signed with a team in China, so you could be on the same continent as Alicia, who was playing softball in Japan at the time. I mean, that must have just really a lot of willpower to 
to make it work, right? Given how busy and again concurrent your guys' schedules are. Yeah, it's um, it's definitely been a process. It's been hard uh, because we do play at the same time, um, but we we're committed to each other. We're committed to making time for each other. I mean, there's been times where I've played a game and then have flown out literally an hour after our game um, just to fly into Chicago to see her play and um, vice versa for her. Uh, I did sign uh, a contract with China so that we could be in the same proximity, um, but things kind of with COVID didn't plan out for her to play in Japan. So uh, she actually got the chance to come with me in China and was there with me for two months and God, I, I think I owe her like a lifetime of apologies because uh, China is, my team was amazing. They were very, very sweet, but China itself, it's just a a really, really different culture. So it was hard to be over there. Mm. Obviously with COVID starting there, it was a really, really scary period for us. And luckily we were able, I was able to cancel my contract before anything got too crazy. Mm. Um, And we were able to get home. And uh, so uh, this downtime, while the pandemic has been um, so bad in a lot of ways and so tragic and traumatic for a lot of families, uh, we've been extremely blessed because we do have that quality time that we don't get, um, you know, we, that we don't ever get. We've been able to be home with each other for a year now. We bought a home together. Um, we've been able to spend time with our families. So uh, we understand that we've been really, really blessed throughout this process. Yeah, I mean, you, you're spending more time together than ever, and you're still together. So that's that's a positive, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. There were some, definitely some times where we were ready to rip out each other's hair, but we got through it. <laughs> one, one question I, I, I do want to ask you is, um, why do you think the women, in terms of LGBTQ inclusiveness out athletes, why are the women ahead of the men here by light years? <laughs> in terms of elite team sports? Uh, Why do you think that is? I don't know. Um, we've had we've had a lot of different conversations about it, too, um, Alicia and I, and um, we, don't, we can't pinpoint it, but it makes us so sad. You know what I mean? Like, it, it makes us so sad because we have been in the closet. The both of us have been in the closet, and your world is really hard when you're not living out your true self, when you're not embracing and loving your true self. Um, so for me, it's, it's really hard to know that when I'm looking at other leagues, men's leagues, that I'm like, I know. I, like, we know some of y'all are a part of our community. And um, all I can do is try to create safe spaces and create that allyship and um, but it, it's really, really hard because once you live out that truth as a male athlete, you don't get supported. Um, it's actually frowned upon. Uh, you lose sponsorships. You lose endorsements. You you lose credibility. You could potentially lose your job because people don't want to be in the locker room with you, which is like the most asinine thing um, I can think of, and it's a very insecure thing for other people to feel that way about someone living out their truth. But um, I can only hope that things change for them so that they can embrace and live out their truth and and be happy, be truly, truly happy, because we all know money doesn't bring happiness. You know, the people 
um, that's around you, uh, your family, your friends, um, you living out your truth, that, that's happiness. That's real happiness. You know what I mean? Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I think what you were saying earlier just feels like a million pounds are lifted off your shoulders and you can come out. And, you know, so much of the coverage about gay athletes, LGBTQ athletes, is center around that fear before coming out. And what we like to do at OutSports is talk about the elation you feel after you do come out. And that's why I think it's just so important to highlight those points. Absolutely. And it's so important. Um, you know, something that I learned immediately was you once you come out, you are so supported in every facet. You are not alone. I think far too often, especially in um, our teens, they feel isolated. They feel alone. They feel scared. They're very hesitant to come out or to even just talk to someone. Um, but especially to, you know, teen listeners, understand that there is a community that will love you, that will embrace you, that will take care of you, um, <clears throat> that will have your back um, so that you can live out your truth and feel safe and, and protected and secure. Um, that's the most beautiful thing I found that after I came out is that there's this beautiful community that loves me and accepts me for me. That is a great note to end on. Natasha Cloud, it was a pleasure talking with you. Thanks for taking the time and coming on the show. Alex, thank you so much for having me. Wasn't Natasha great and a great guest appearance from Alicia? Man, oh man, what a what a great interview. I, I loved loved talking with her. Hopefully you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed participating in it. As always, as always, you can reach me on Twitter. My Twitter name is at AlexReamer1. That again is at AlexReamer1. I will talk to you all next Saturday. So long.